Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is brought to you today by Baxter Blue. Do you experience that weird digital eye strain thing from blue light exposure from digital screens? Baxter Blue glasses, not your average frames. Uh, the blue light lenses filter 80% of the highest energy blue light, eliminating 99% of the glare. And let me tell you, this past year, we've all gotten used to staring at our computer screens all day long. And my wife came home with some really sexy glasses, and I was like, I thought we had surgery on your eyes. And she's like, yes, we did. But uh, eye strain, it's a real thing. And so, you know, she got hooked up with Baxter Blue. Our exposure to digital light has soared. Our eyes and our sleep are suffering as a result. And Baxter Blue is a force for good. Not only is it going to help you with that strain, it provides a pair of reading glasses for someone in need for every pair that they sell. So you can, like, do a good deed, too. Super sweet. Uh, this is eyewear built, eyewear built for our digital age. And Baxter Blue has given our listeners 10% off on your next purchase of Blue Light sleep or kids glasses just hit up the link in our show notes for your exclusive discount this is the sign you've been waiting for to invest in blue light glasses we know you're gonna love it baxter blue now on to the rock and roll hey you awake yeah i just want you to know i hate you so is my dad please go away let me sleep for the love of god why don't you tell me a story how do you sleep at night? I don't want to hang out with a bunch of wannabe corporate sellouts. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is here to deal with all those rumors that in your window you hear about your favorite bands and your favorite songs. My name is Brian, and my buddy on the other end, what's up? I, I'm Murdoch, and I've been told Brian has something really awesome and funny for, for us this evening, uh, and I'm super excited. We're now getting to the point where... Um, you know, Brian and I, we started this podcast because we were those two people at the party get together and they just sit around the corner and talk about music and ignore everybody else. Mm -hmm. We so still got to have a podcast about it, right? Yeah. Here, here's what we have to do. I mean, part of the reason this has gotten fun is our audience has gotten involved. And today we're hitting the mailbag for, for a couple of things. Awesome. Uh, Last week was great. So this will be great. We, I, I really, first of all, appreciate everybody taking the time. So it's we are the story guys at gmail.com. If you listen to an episode, if you just have a comment about something, Hit us up if you have something you want us to look into. Uh, we'll do that as well. And we're going to do both right now. Um, so L in our home state of Kentucky reached out to remind us of something after listening to last week's episode. Last week's episode was about album art. And he said, hey, guys, on your recent show about album art, do you realize you left out someone very important? Phil Hartman. Do you know about this? No. So bef no. before his comic career took off, Phil Hartman was a working graphic designer. He got a degree in graphic arts at Cal State Northridge in 1974, and in the decade that followed, he designed over 40 record covers. America, Poco, he designed that weird Celtic logo thing for Crosby, Stills, and Nash. What? Yeah, and the one that looms the most legendary in my mind is he designed the cover for uh, Asia by Steely Dan. Th no! Phil Hartman! Yes, that's totally true. <laughs> I didn't think it was real either. And when he said this to the end of the show, I said, is this guy full of it? Uh, no, it is 100% true. We'll put him in the I, show notes if you want to see the gallery. It's crazy. I can't believe that. I can't believe oh you didn't know that, Mr. SNL. Like, how did you not know that? I feel let down. I don't know. Yeah. And, man, I went down a dark, deep, awful, you know, wormhole with what happened to, to Phil, to Phil which yeah. stinks. Yeah. And, Rest and in his peace. wife. Yeah, yeah, but, and I love The Simpsons a lot, and so, and I thought he was, he was great, 
Um, but no, I had no idea he was a graphic designer. And it's you know insane. what? That's that Steely Dan record, uh, which by the way, I'm a Gen Xer and I prefer Slayer. So I, <laughs> uh, it, Steely Dan rings well with some like it's like it's like Led Zeppelin four for some people. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. Especially Asia. Asia's a huge part of that. I mean, that's why I bring that up because that's a big Steely Dan record. So that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so something must be in the water this week pushing us towards the correlation of rock and roll in Hollywood, because we also got this letter. Hello, Brian and Murdoch. I gotta say, I'm a fan of your work with the podcast, Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Okay, I'm leaving this in. This doesn't actually have to do with anything with what we're going to talk about, but you know, we all need, we all need some love sometimes. Uh, keep up the great work. I think the range of artists you guys cover in the show is amazing, and you've actually kept me listening in on artists that I'm not necessarily a fan of, but have been able to appreciate something remarkable about them thanks to your entertaining presentation i'm feeling great right now i really like this letter um and and i will say thank you that's kind of the point that's what we you know we wanted we get so excited about this stuff we want to make other people excited about it and i hope that we do so that's cool now let's get to the meat of this that said i was wondering if you guys would be willing to shed some light you're not going to believe what he asked on the somewhat mysterious character of steven seagal At first, I was like, wait, 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 what? Does he know what show he's listening to? He just he just spent two paragraphs talking about this show. He's not like the one guy on iTunes that made up a premise to this show and clearly didn't like actually listen to it. He knows what he's listening to. And he says, now listen, I know he may not qualify as a rock and roller in your mind, but he does sing, play guitar, make albums, and apparently has a killer vintage guitar collection oh my gosh he's right i've heard so true i've heard so many rumors about him and i think you guys have the succinct skills uh to be able to unearth a quality representation of this man and set the story straight so this is different right this is this is going to be a different episode oh yeah yeah i i read about him real recently where he was like one of the worst hosts of snl ever um, so for lots of reasons, it, it's very yeah. funny because there is a section of the show later that we will get to where I basically called the non-musical parts of Steven Seagal's career, which we will, I will say, we're not going to get to very much of the rest of him because it's absolutely insane. And there's so much okay. insanity that we will just go down a rabbit hole and never come out. So I picked the ones that I called the most Murdoch and the number one thing on my most Murdoch Steven Seagal factoids list is yep. that he was considered the worst host of snl of all time of all time so you already you first of all you proved that i know you very well and second of all you uh you you jumped to the end so here's what here's what i want to do i thought we could dig into this a little for ben and so i started to and let me just tell you it sent me on a journey that i was not anticipating now when i was in college i lived for two semesters in a summer in a house with my two best buddies and i attempted to decorate the hallway with signed promo photos that I had secured at some point, either, I'm not even sure where, either early in my radio career or maybe via eBay, because I think at the time I had a Cheryl Crow one and I'm pretty sure I didn't get that at the radio station. Anyway, in what must have been an attempt to mock me, one of my roommates came home one day with a framed black and white promo photo of Steven Seagal with a guitar. (laughs) And it stayed on the mantle, Murdoch, the entire time that we lived in this house. So... I have well been aware of the musical chops of Mr. Seagal. Uh, And, I mean, if you remember, he's kind of on this list of other names in Hollywood, right, in the 80s and 90s. Now, I'm not talking about guys now. Like, there's a a breed of actor now 
who have like indie rock credentials, right? And at the at one far end of this, there's like Jared Leto who has 30 Seconds to Mars, right? And and on another like far end of this, you have like Childish Gambino slash Donald Glover, right? Who, these guys who have dual careers. And that's not what I'm talking about. And I'm also not talking about guys like in the current crop who get indie rock cred for having a band, but people just assume they're kind of like, they're just hipsters. Like, for instance, the guy that played McLovin, he's been in like a bunch of different bands. Uh, Finn right. Wolfhard from Stranger Things, he's got an indie rock yep. band or two. Like, you know, so there's these guys. That's not what I'm talking about. There was this period in the 90s where if you remember, Bruce Willis, Keanu Reeves, Russell Crowe, all these guys were like musicians that had bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Steven Seagal was on that list. But what I didn't know about Seagal was this fact that Ben throws in about his vintage guitar collection. And we're going to get there. And that's where we're going to spend a lot of time. But first, first, let me tell you what I immediately did after reading this letter. You want to take any guesses? Uh, you went to Google Images? I don't know. What does that mean? I, th- I threw an under-siege viewing party. An under-siege viewing party? When was the last time you saw Under Siege? Uh, first a minute, uh, for a minute there, Brian, I was putting all of all the four words together, and I was like, is this something on Twitch that I don't know? <laughs> okay. No. So let me let me back up. I invited a few guys over that I watch movies with, and I said, tonight we're going to have to watch Under Siege from 1992, starring Steven Seagal. And I know you know about this, because it's got Erica Leniak in it. And I know, yes. I, if I know you at all, and, and I've, you've already proven once on this podcast tonight that I know you, I know you well enough to know that you owned at least two of those covers right well yeah i didn't i don't i don't remember that movie hardly at all i'll go ahead and say that there's there's not a lot you have to remember i mean this is what happens in the movie he plays a chef first of all hard stop he plays a chef what uh and then you find out that he's actually special forces very unclear as if like the chef thing is legit at all though he spends most of the time in the kitchen in a chef hat um and the Tommy Lee Jones is in this movie and let's just say shouts to Tommy Lee Jones as a side note that I'm reminded of during this viewing party for looking exactly the same for the last 40 years like he got to 45 and just continued to look 45 for the next however long but he's actually in that movie playing music he's the one playing music in that movie not Steven Seagal Tommy Lee Jones does this harmonica solo and then there's this reveal where you you understand all of a sudden that he's a bad guy because he says hey who's third in command on this ship like acting like he's gonna bring him up on stage and some guy raises his hand and he just pulls out a gun and shoots him in the head and at that point you know the movie has gone to 11 and it's about to be ridiculous uh but do you think that it was tommy lee jones that steven seagal calls when he needed someone to play harmonica on his first album Songs from the Crystal Cave in 2004. No, he he called Bruce Willis. Close. Well, actually, not close at all. He called Stevie Wonder. (laughs) Why is this going to get more ridiculous? Oh, it gets so ridiculous. Where I'm about to take us is you're just uh, strap in. So how did this album turn out, you ask me? Stevie Wonder's on it. Steven Seagal is playing blues. It's called Songs from the Crystal Cave. 
Um, let's just grab yeah. a quote from Sputnik Music. Uh, music publication Sputnik Music called Crystal Cave, quote, the Plan 9 from Outer Space of Records. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, do, do you need to hear this? I feel like to yeah. really do this, yeah. you, you need to hear but, a little bit of this. Because, by the way, my favorite... Um, Johnny Depp movie is Ed Wood. Well, what's your favorite so, Steven Seagal movie? I don't have a favorite Steven Seagal. I don't have a. He's not on my radar. Have you ever seen of, one? I don't know, man. Maybe. Okay. I feel like we're gonna. This is what we're gonna do. We just need to hear one Steven Seagal song. Like that's really all we need to do. But it needs yeah. to happen. So we're gonna listen to one. This is called Jealousy, and this is on that song from the Crystal Cave album. Okay. Murdoch says, okay. Like, right. like, code for it. Dude, will you please turn it off? Like, I'm good. All right, great. I've great. heard the hook. That's all I need. Yeah. Uh, okay, I, so I feel bad. I feel bad about this when you're like, so you don't tell me you haven't seen a Steven Seagal movie. It's like, I'm that I'm that fucking guy, friend of yours, uh, of everybody's, where it's like, dude, are you ready to go see the Marvel movie? And it's like, I don't like to go see Marvel movies. I just like to watch <laughs> documentaries on PBS. Listen, I t- I've told my wife our entire marriage. Self awareness makes all sense more forgivable. At least you know yeah. you're that guy, and also your nerd voice is on point. So that's that great. Great. Yeah. Uh, so that's fine. You should hear my. You should hear my hot documentary guy voice. <laughs> you should. I really love the camera angles that they were able to do this on 35 millimeter <laughs> in black and white. <laughs> Say it again. Black and white. Okay. So I, here's the deal. Music is subjective, right? We could we could turn this into a troll fest because let me tell you, there is so much to troll, but. I don't think we need to do that. That's not what the show is. I am all for people enjoying what they enjoy, and I'm not even going to tell you if that music that we just heard is good or bad. I'm going to focus on facts. And the facts here are that when you are a movie star and you decide to start a band, you can afford to make sure that you have legendary equipment. And as we have already alluded to, that, my friend, is exactly what Steven Seagal did. He took all that money and he decided to start... A guitar collection and let me just tell you this is unbelievable this is from a history channel documentary that they did about his guitar collection the history What's channel has only passion. a thing about steven seagal's guitars 300 guitars many of these instruments were hard to find i collect guitars because i'm a serious player and i've been playing since i was a child <laughs> and i love guitar and i play all kinds of different music Seagal uses his collection in the studio and on stage. Unlike other musicians and collectors, he is willing to risk some of his most prized guitars by taking them on the road. I travel with these, I just don't let them out of my sight. <laughs> Not only are the guitars rare, they're made more valuable by the artists who played them. Celebrity guitars have value higher than non-celebrity guitars that really doesn't relate to the value of the guitar as much as it relates to the aura of the celebrity who owned it or played it. Let me just tell you, that guy who just said that is uh, really excited to be on the History Channel, and he's definitely the guy they also used on Ancient Aliens. Like, it's the same guy. Not the guy from the meme, but it's, like, clearly a guy they had in backup rotation, because 
whew, he gets real excited about that. So, yeah, you hear a little bit there. Yes, to answer your question, the History Channel has a documentary about Steven Seagal in its rotation. And let me tell you, I don't know if you caught it, 300 guitars. The full clip will be in the show notes, and you can see for yourself. But basically, let me just describe to you that there is just in this shot a lawn filled with guitars. And they're just laying in the grass and the first comment on the youtube video is just <laughs> because a real collector lays their guitars on their lawn <laughs> what, what does that mean it's so weird well it's just like ridiculous to t- it's hard to take yeah. him seriously because he's got all his stuff laying on his grass so yeah because it's gonna get grass stains on i know it. i'm sorry i'm being a weirdo but no, like no i but- have two two guitars electric guitars and i just want to make sure that they don't fall over Right, you don't lay them in your front lawn. But anyway, again, the guy has so much money, and he's got guitars that have been played by Lenny Kravitz, Stevie Ray Vaughan. He has he has the one, supposedly the only jazz master that Jimi Hendrix owned. Uh, well, four BB King guitars, an Albert Collins guitar, Stevie Ray Vaughan guitars, and he even has, and they go into this in that clip, Martin D45s, which I don't know if you know much about them, but they're very old sure. early Martins. Yep. So I do. It lit by by legitimate sources like Vintage Guitar Magazine, it, there has been speculation that quote he might have the arguably the finest collection of such instruments in the world, right? And three hundred, yeah. three hundred of them. And back to what was said in that documentary about the point, the point that I made about being rich, and what I would call somewhat nonchalant, if not out and out reckless, he openly tours with these guitars. Like, it's not just sitting at his house. He takes him out when he does go, and he does do gigs. Like, that's a thing he does. He tours with a band sometimes. So, back to this vintage guitar magazine. It's kind of like Corey Feldman. It's just just like that. Yeah, no. Get back to what we were talking about. Have you, so, do you know anything about vintage guitar magazine? Um, I have picked it up, but I don't, I have not picked it up a lot. But I certainly have picked it up and, and flipped my hands through it. So, in 2009, they sent a writer to Steven Seagal's house to see these guitars. And I think part of their thinking was people are going to hear about this and they're going to laugh or they're going to troll. Because, I mean, we haven't even really established. Like, I guess someone could turn on this podcast and not know who Steven Seagal is and be like, well, who are they even talking about? So I guess we should just say openly that Steven Seagal is a martial arts guy who made a career out of being in movies and there was a brief period in the late 80s and early 90s where he was in big blockbuster-ish movies and then he just started doing everything straight to DVD and so he's kind of become a joke but like he's kind of in that same realm as like a Jean-Claude Van Damme or even an Arnold Schwarzenegger but not quite and he was he was like actually trained in martial arts in Japan so it was like seemed was supposed to be like kind of legitimate or whatever Anyway, I just want to make sure that for some reason there's like one fan who's like, I've never seen a movie. Who is this Steven Siegel you talk about? Uh, so anyway, because they wanted to make sure that this felt legitimate, I think, when Vintage Guitar Magazine sent this writer out, and his name is like Wolf something, which is awesome, they also sent Billy Gibbons from ZZ Wait, Top. What? So... Wolf Marshall, the writer, Billy Gibbons, and Steven Seagal hanging out at his weird wooded hideaway in the Hollywood Hills. And this interview is bananas. But 
it is important to point out here, just so you can imagine what this experience looks like. Close your eyes for a moment. You may know that Steven Seagal, over the years, has gotten very into Buddhism. Did you know that? This is another thing a lot of people know about Steven Seagal. So much so that there was actually a controversy where certain Buddhist leaders were saying that Steven Seagal was actually the reincarnation of a renowned translator who opened his own monastery. Uh, and so, thanks to this spiritual history, Seagal was declared a lama, which is a venerated teacher in Tibetan Buddhism. That's a very high ranking. This means he's basically like a notch down from the Dalai Lama, like if all of this was true. It's just unreal. So super okay, bizarre. Keep, I have so many. I have so many questions, but keep going. Okay. And okay. Let me please let, let me ask, ask those at some point. Let's get let's get to Billy Gibbons. Yes. Wolf Marshall and Steven Seagal hanging out. Anyway, I bring up the Buddhism thing to say that it sets the scene for what the house looks like because it's full of Asian and Eastern artifacts. So there's like three things in this house, four things in this house, Steven Seagal, Asian artifacts, Eastern artifacts, and 300 guitars. <laughs> and so obviously I'm putting this article in the show notes and I highly recommend it as bedtime reading or any sort of reading. It's fantastic. Toilet reading, traffic reading, whatever, you know, waiting on your kid's soccer practice reading. But I'm going to recap it by just saying, Billy Gibbons geeks out at this whole thing. Hmm. But they get especially sidetracked by one particular area of Steven's collection. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time. And that's with Great. that's with three flying Vs that were once oh. played by Albert King. Wow. All right. Another quick reminder that the show is brought to you today by Baxter Blue. If you've got that digital eye strain thing going on from too much blue light exposure from digital screens, come on. It's called living for the last uh, year, year and a half. Uh, These guys can help you out, right? Baxter Blue glasses, not your average frames. They got blue light lenses that filter 80% of the highest energy blue light, and they take care of that glare for you too, 99% of it. Uh, The past year, we've all had to spend way too much time in front of a screen, whether it's reporting a, recording a podcast or, uh, you know, doing work uh, or talking to family members. You're, you're always looking at something, and it can really mess with your eyes. So make sure that you are finding ways to mitigate that. Um, that digital light, man, it, that exposure can mess up your sleep, can do all kinds of stuff. Uh, not only... Is Baxter Blue going to help you with that? They're also going to be a force for good and provide a pair of reading glasses for someone in need for every pair they sell. So get it, man. It's eyewear built for our digital age. It's Baxter Blue. 10% off your next purchase of blue light, sleep, or kids' glasses. Just click the link in our show notes. Get that discount. All right. Back to the show. So what do you know about Albert King? I'm... I'm not a a big sort of blues guy, man. Yeah, so me neither. Everything everything you tell me is going to be pretty pretty new to me. But but you know you know this. Yeah. Didn't know about the flying bee. Yeah. So. There's basically, when you talk to guys that are into blues, and admittedly, we will say that Murdoch and I are both what I call pop brain guys, right? We're not blues brain guys. Uh, we love the Beatles, and we love the Stones, but in a fist fight, I'd take the Beatles if I had to. 
Well, not in a fist fight, but like if you were going to fight me and make me pick one. Anyway, that's a weird hypothetical situation. It's it's a good day for a fist fight, Brian. <laughs> that's a that's a deep deep reference. Yeah. Um, okay. So um, that song was recorded in 1967, and it sounds so good still. Like, and it sounds. Yeah. I mean, the fidelity of it and everything is great, right? And it's because. It was recorded at Stax Records. Oh, and, well, that's why. And do you know who the house band is of Stax Records? You know this. Uh, the, the Booker T and the MG. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So, Gibbons tells this story in this interview. We're starting to kind of like Inception because we're going to go into stories that they're telling. But basically, in this interview, Billy Gibbons is like talking about Albert Collins because they're looking at that those guitars. And he's like, dude, I got this crazy story where... Uh, I was with Albert King during a recording session and Steve Cropper was there. And Steve Cropper is the guitarist of from Booker T and the MGs. Mm-hmm. And they backed artists like Otis Redding and Sam and Dave and Carla Thomas and Rufus Thomas yep. and Johnny Taylor. Uh, and at some point, while they're in the studio, they start talking about the stack sound and how rich it was, right? And how good, like what we just heard. But also how consistent it was and how cohesive. And so Gibbon says, hey man, was there like some thought that went into designing that sound. Was that like a planned thing? And Albert just starts laughing. Albert King's laughing at him. And uh, he goes, tell him, Steve. And Cropper goes, dude, have you ever been to Stack Studio? Because it's in South Memphis. Yeah. And and Billy's like, no, nah, man, I haven't. And he goes, okay, here's the deal. It was this old movie theater in the worst part of town. And it was dangerous. And it turns out that they had so many break-ins that they finally bolted the amps to the concrete floor and they bolted down the mic stands and they bolted the drums and anything else that could be stolen. And so as a result, nothing was ever moved. And so the sound never changed. They wouldn't wouldn't even let cleaning people move anything around. Unbelievable. I mean, this is dropped in the middle of a hangout session with Steven Seagal. Like I I was reading this and I was like, what is happening? Why are, why are all these things together right now? Yeah, and isn't it weird that on another dimension, that if you watch the documentary about Fat Records with Mm, Fat Mike from No Effects, and you're like, why do all these bands, their records sound alike? And it's because all the kick drums had silver dollars on them. Really? Like uh, at the connection point? Like where the... Yeah. Oh, wow. The producer put yeah so so when you hear the kick drums sound the same that's 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 the commonality so that's why if you're like oh, I like this this band like you're gonna like all these other bands we got too because all the drums and the rhythm sound the same and so it's got that isn't that crazy because so by design you make everything the same so it's like well if you like this you'll like this and it really is true versus. You know, the analogy of like, oh, if you like the Beatles, you might like some of the zombies. But it's like, right. well, if you, yeah. So that's amazing that I never have heard that either. Well, the, the and, fact they had to bolt everything down is great. And it was just a product of necessity. And it becomes this legendary thing. So in t- totally crazy. So as so now we're back in the, the Buddhist uh, enclave. <laughs> and they're having this conversation. And they're looking at these flying bees. And there's one in particular where you can actually see that Albert King's hand wore a groove into the guitar's body. And so S- Seagal tells this story. He says, 
there's a rumor that Albert lost it in a craps game in the late 60s. Whether at the game itself or as a debt he paid later, this guitar went for 2500 bucks, And the person who bought it was supposed to hang on to it. And he promised never to sell it. So it disappeared for more than 20 years hidden in Memphis. And now this is Seagal talking. But I knew who had it and I found him. I've kept it quiet for many years. Not many have seen it. Which, let me just pause here, and, and this is not addressed in the article, but that's a little worrisome. Martial arts movie star says, I knew who had it, and I found him. And then he kept the whole thing quiet for many years. Can someone please check on that guy's family? Yeah, hey, listen, my 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 youngest daughter is here. She's seen Cobra Kai. She knows what that shit means. It's like she knows <laughs> that somebody might have got, somebody might have got it clocked by Johnny. Anyway, okay, so we've already established that Steven Seagal is a little out there, and we're going to establish that more as we go. But at this point in this hangout session with Billy Gibbons, he gets really Seagal. Uh, do you know who Dan Erlewine is? No, that's so, the name I don't know. Possibly the most famous guitar repairman of all time. So he's been doing it since 1963, and pre-internet was making instructional repair videotapes and writing books and stuff. Like, you would literally, like, send off and get this, like, Dan Erlewine tells you how to fix your guitar tape, which, man, not efficient use of time, but um, we really take things for granted these days. So he made one of these flying Vs that Albert King played, and it was it's wow. made of black walnut, and it has a maple strip down the middle, uh, and it's they called it Lucy. And Albert played shows all over the world with this guitar. He did interviews with it. He talked about it in interviews. He claimed it was the guitar of his life. Now... We will get more in on this in a bit, but Albert King dies in 1992, okay? So Stephen gets possession of this guitar in the early 2000s, and he sends it to his buddy, Pete Skatesis, who is going to repair it for him. And the guitar is in Pete's possession for several weeks. And this Seagal is telling this story when he's hanging out with Billy Gibbons. And he says, one night, Peter calls him and says, dude, I was downstairs in the basement, working on this guitar, and my seven-year-old comes running downstairs and freaked out, crying, just big tears. Like, there's just a stranger in the house, and he's just sitting on the couch, and he's like this big guy, and he's like, he's a black guy. And so Peter runs upstairs, like, well, you know, there's somebody in my house, my kid's here, and like, there's no evidence of anybody being there. Like, at all. They don't see anything that's come in, anything that's gone out, nothing. Yeah. Stephen, being the calm Buddhist that he is, tells his pal, he says, Peter, you heard him in that interview, Peter, uh, show that kid a photo of Albert King. And so <laughs> Peter does, and the kid immediately is like, that's the guy that was on the couch! So the ghost of Albert King, according to Stephen Seagal, <laughs> showed up at his repair guy's house. Because oh his favorite guitar Every, was there. Every, everything everything about this is so freaking ridiculous. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that Steven Seagal has entered the chat. I love that he's he showed up into our podcast because we've definitely taken some things pretty seriously. And his somewhat very serious martial arts... <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so 
these two guys spend the rest of this hangout like session. Some kombucha. I can't take it seriously. I can't. When I'm thinking about his face and thinking about him being so serious, talking to Billy Gibbons, who I would consider to be an amazing guitar player. It's like this is such a weird conversation that's happening. <laughs> I mean, okay, so I don't even know if that I said this Albert earlier. Collins. So, so this 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 hangout session happened in 2009. So this is a very old article. And I when I discovered this, first of all, I got to send Ben, who wrote this letter to us, like a a fruit basket for revealing this to me. And also, I was like, Eureka! I found gold. Are you you're telling me there's an article that exists where they've just chronicled? One of the greatest rock, kind of blues rock guitar players hanging out with Steven Seagal talking about one of the greatest blues guitar players of all time. It's so weird. And so there are tons of Albert King stories that these two guys trade in this interview. But Steven tells this story, and this is where, I mean, we'll get to this, but I just think Steven Seagal is full of it all the time. Like, I don't know if he's a pathological liar, but these stories get crazier and crazier. So here's this other one that he tells. Okay, so I have been searching for corroboration for this story all over, and I cannot find it. The only place I can find any mention of this is in this interview. So Albert King dies of a heart attack in 1992. And in this interview, Steven Seagal says the following, or not interview, whatever it is, like this weird article. He had a heart attack and asked a girl to drive him to the hospital. So she drove him. Well, you know, Albert had all those nice rings and stuff. This girl was so concerned about his gold and jewelry that she drove him to the parking lot, stole his jewelry, and left him to die in the car. All she had to do was drive to the front door, to the ER, and he'd probably still be here. Wait, what? So this is like bombshell material, and they just go right past it. Billy Gibbons doesn't say anything about it. The interviewer doesn't say anything about it. And I cannot find that backed up anywhere the only source on that story is steven seagal (laughs) so uh, so albert king's died in a hospital right he died at the hospital and he doesn't dispute that but he says that if she had gotten him into the hospital like basically this woman drove him stole his stuff and left him in the parking lot or left him outside the hospital and the i mean the story officially is that yeah he died at the hospital of a heart attack which he's not disputing but he's saying that there is a, a nefarious woman involved here who stole his... This may have been during one of Seagal's four divorces and he was just like mad. I mean, I don't know. But yeah. this story is nuts and I can't find anything to back it up. Well, you know, man, we're right in the middle of this still in Me Too stuff, man. These nefarious women need to stop. <laughs> Sorry, careful. Sorry. I and, just, and, and, and we will only briefly touch on that, but there is a lot of Me Too stuff happening with Steven Seagal. So let's be very clear that we yeah. we do not think that. That was a joke. Um, okay, yeah. so uh, there is so much BS with Steven Seagal that it's hard to know what to believe at any point. And I, I do think that to end this wild ride, we need to touch on just a small sprinkling of the very bizarre non-musical parts of his weird life. But before we get too far away from this, I want to swing back and I want you to remember that Seagal is not just a rich collector. It's easy to to move into that and be like, okay, he's a guy who made some movies, made a bunch of money, and decided to spend it on really expensive guitars and then talk about them, which is something you and I might do, right? I mean, I, that's not... I get it. Uh, but no. Uh, yeah, absolutely. He also plays in a band and he plays these guitars. There are So let me just give you a rundown of his career. There's two main full lengths. 
04 and 06. There appears to be an EP of some sorts as recently as 17, but I can't bring myself to spend time with it. Um, he has the <laughs> added benefit that most players don't, which is he has sway on a lot of the aspects of his own movies. So if you watch many, especially mid-career Steven Seagal movies, uh-huh. they have his songs in them. Yeah. Makes sense. They've also worked some of these songs to radio in other countries, so he has had limited success there. And while we're talking about his musical connections, it should be pointed out that he actually did a movie where he starred, and his co-star, his number two billing, was with DMX. It's called Exit Wounds. came out in 2001. Wow. So there you go. Uh, Now, if you're curious, you can find concert reviews online. And the, uh, the problem is that most people are just kind of trolling the idea more than they're actually judging the music. So I'm not here to defend the guy because he's kind of undefendable, which we'll get to. But from what I gather, I mean, if you like blues guitar, he's probably not terrible to watch. Like if you're at a music festival and Steven Seagal was on stage, I mean, I'd sit through that. It's probably interesting. Um, but I did find one article from 2014 that is especially bizarre. I'm just going to read you the title. This is the title. Are you ready? Yeah. Steven Seagal's music career nosedives in Estonia. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I hated it when it happened to me, too. So, so tell me what happened to his career in Estonia. So this connects to one of the really weird things that we will mention about his life in general, and that is this tie he has determined to have to Vladimir Putin. Like, have you ever heard this idea that Steven Seagal is like into oh, no into Vladimir Putin? Okay, so no, no. Well, I mean, listen, everybody that's into Vladimir Putin needs to get in the back of the line. So let's, <laughs> let's put let's put this martial arts prick in the back of the line, Brian. Here's go. The, here's the lead of the article. Steven Seagal has been banned from a summer music festival in Estonia. This this was from 2014. Mm-hmm. A summer music festival in Estonia due to his personal ties to Russian President Vladimir Putin, who consider wow. who he considers quote a brother. Even more alarming to Estonians is how the actors supported Putin's move on uh, Crimea, thinking it was very reasonable and that he considers the president as friend. Seagal was scheduled to play at the Estonian Blues Festival, but organizers decided to pull him following the downing of flight MH17 and the international anger that has followed it. According to Estonia, do you remember that whole thing? I had forgotten yep. this. Okay. According to Estonia's foreign minister, the actor's political ties and views contradict a world which honors states based on the rule of law. Yes. So, totally, totally agreed. Here, okay. So, that's the article. Let me just give you some background on this whole Russian thing. Segal was granted Russian citizenship on November 3rd, 2016. <laughs> so, okay. So, Ac- according to government, I mean, this, this definitely sounds like something that would happen in 2016. According to government spokesman Dmitry Peskov, quote, he was asking quite insistently and over a lengthy period to be granted citizenship. Uh, so, various media have cited Segal and Putin as friends, and Segal stated that he, quote, would like to consider Putin a brother, which we talked about. But Putin has distanced himself from Segal. Peskov is reported to have said, quote, I wouldn't necessarily say he's a huge fan, but he's definitely seen some of his movies. So that actually conflicts other research I've read that says that the two have been friends for a long time. Uh, I have read other things that say they met in 03 while Segal was at the Moscow Film Festival and that they were hanging out because they both had a shared love of martial arts. Okay. Here's a bizarre fact you didn't know this morning. Putin is an eighth-degree black belt in judo, though yes. admittedly easy to rise through the ranks when you can just have your sensei killed if you don't like what they tell you. 
That's right. That's right. Or just bomb an apartment building if there you have a mm-hmm, problem with anybody mm-hmm. lives in it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so soon they they seem to be dining together, uh, visiting dojos, promoting old Sylvia exercise programs. I mean, it gets it gets weirder and weirder. Uh, they even visited the Russian judo team as they were preparing for the 2012 Olympics. In 2015, Putin asked Obama to make Seagal an honorary consul of Russia in California wow. and Arizona so that wow. the actor could serve as a go-between. Uh, needless to say, Obama vetoed that. And there is an article, I'm, I'm reading a little bit from an article here that also made the hilarious joke about having your sensei killed. I don't want anyone to think I'm, I was that funny. Uh, but while he isn't running messages from the Kremlin to the White House, Seagal visits Russia pretty frequently. Um, super weird. Okay, so there's that. There's the Russia thing. And then... Let's wrap things up by leaving the music for a second and just doing a rapid fire of Seagal's other insanity. So Ben, who wrote in, mentioned, hey, I've heard like some that there's like just some really weird stuff. Uh, and there is so much that we could cover, Ben, that I'm going to first tell you what I will not be elaborating on. But a lot of this you can find in the show notes. I have maybe the most extensive show notes of any rock and roll bedtime stories <laughs> to date. Uh, for, the most, for the most maybe... Unrock and roll guy at this point on the show. I don't know, man. He, ha- he, he saw Albert King's ghost, or his buddy saw Albert King's ghost. I know, um, on the couch. So here's what I'm not going to cover. <laughs> it is funny that he's like just chilling on the couch. Uh, I will not be going into Seagal's history with the FBI, Seagal's history with the Gambino crime family, Seagal's history with the UFC, or his love with baby, his love for baby elephants. Uh, I will only go into all of the sex harassment stuff to say that clearly there's a lot of them, at least seven sets that we know about, including several from well-known actors like Julianne Bargalese, Portia de Rossi, and Jenny McCarthy. Uh, uh, and wow. so I'm not condoning Seagal in general or any of the stupidity. All right? I just, that needs to be said for the record. What I will do instead is mention, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the most Murdoch of all these factoids, the ones that intersect most succinctly with your other areas of interest which include he is commonly considered one of the worst SNL hosts of all time. Yes. I, what, is it David Spade who let that out in an interview? David's, I think David Spade said that in an interview because that, that matches up the time period. We, we can't really put it in perspective with the former host, The Celebrity Apprentice, in 2015 or 2016, whenever that douchebag was the host. But that'll come up soon. And then you have Kanye post that and we're about to have elon musk but from a historical perspective uh seagal has been graded worse than chevy chase when chevy chase came on the show and said some anti-lgbtq things directly in front of people that were um gay and lesbian um that people were like i can't believe you were on the first season of the show and you're a complete douchebag um but Let's put the spotlight back on Steven to the stage. Steven Seagal to the stage. Okay. Two for one drinks. So remember, this this is the the most Murdoch things from Steven's history. Uh, he was married to Kelly LeBrock from Weird Science for a while. Did you know this? Yes. yes they have like three kids together. Yes, I do. And yes, I knew that for some reason. <laughs> I know the reason. In 2005... <laughs> Seagal Enterprises began to market an energy drink known as Steven Seagal's Lightning Bolt. Guess what's not still on the market, man? You cannot buy that at Thornton's. That's not happening. 
So so wait. Does so does he have does he have a retail does he have a retail thing called Steven Seagal Enterprise Seagal Enterprise? Seagal Enterprise. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Oh, and that's not the only thing they've sold. First of all, or that's a, that's a first of all. Second of all, Seagal has also marketed an, an aftershave called Scent of Action. <laughs> what? <laughs> Out of my face. <laughs> Action. That's so weird. <laughs> you know, listen, everyone that's out there listening to our show, and we always, the, the really the joy about this is discovering music and having fun and hearing all these stories. But what we really want to tell you, the lesson today is diversify your fun. <laughs> Start your own company where you can sell your own aftershave <laughs> or what, okay, whatever so else. He, he, yeah. Buddy, here's where we're going to end. I, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm ending this here because we haven't even gotten to the reality show. So we're going to end with the reality show. Do you remember this? No. Uh, 2000, yeah, I mean, this- 2009, this guy gets a, a TV show called Steven Seagal Lawman. Because he is, and this is another thing I haven't even mentioned. <gasps> this is the thing I'm... Oh. Oh, I do remember that. Okay. That was awful. Oh, wow, that sucked. So he, That was a terrible show. He actually has been in law enforcement on and off, like legitimately. <laughs> so, of course, somebody in the in the kind of heyday of reality shows decides we should give this guy one because that who doesn't want to watch that train wreck. So I want to tell you one specific story from this period. In the third season, Seagal moved to Arizona and teamed up with Sheriff Joe Apayo. Yeah. Uh, now, we know Arpaio is a little bit of a media hound. So when Seagal shows up with the camera in tow, he decides they're going to do something crazy. In 2011, he orchestrates a raid against Jesus Yavera. This guy lived in town and was suspected of, what do you think he was suspected of? Take your pick. Drugs, weapons, molestation, murder, or cockfighting. Cockfighting. Yeah, he was he was totally suspected of cockfighting. And I love that I knew that, like, you even got to the end of it, I was like, oh no, it's the, that one. That one, last one. When the cops showed up, they didn't just bring a warrant. Like, I don't know what you bring when you're going to bust somebody for cockfighting, but I bring like a cage to carry the cocks home in. Uh, these guys, I, I bring a bunch, I bring a bunch of dogs. These guys showed up with 40 SWAT officers, a bomb squad, canine units, armored vehicles. And I kid you not, Steven Seagal riding on the top of a tank. Oh, wow. Wow. During the raid, Parts of the suspect's house were damaged. Don't know how that happened. Steven Seagal was on a tank. And Steven Seagal's tank tore down the gates to the guy's property. But after arresting this guy, they have another problem. They, This guy had a hundred roosters. So I guess he was guilty of cockfighting. But he had a hundred roosters. Now, what do you do when you have a hundred roosters? Do you put them in the tank? Because that was where my head went. You have to kill all of them. They killed all of them. Yep, sure. Guess yeah. what? This this episode didn't air. <laughs> Guess which one of us on the show had an aunt that had a chicken farm and oh, a chicken buddy. Barn. Dude, did she do cockfighting? No, no. She just had... Be, be real. Know, be like, real with me in the audience. Did no, you go to cockfights when you were little? Have you ever seen a cockfight? 
no, 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 no. I just know that once you had a you had a barn that was that big, they cut off their beaks so that they wouldn't like just yeah. you know yeah. basically just knock each just other to death. What, yeah, 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 yeah. So they they did stuff like that because there were tens of thousands or I don't know how many uh, of those things. Um, yeah. So Good. yeah, I know what those things inside of those things look like. Good Lord. I mean, dude, there's a whole lot more that we could do, but I'm leaving it there. I'm leaving it I'm, there with I, Steven Seagal. I'm so happy. Uh, this was a great letter. Thank you. <laughs> ben, you get like an honorary badge as uh, uh, for that letter. And if you want to send a letter, it's we are the story guys at gmail.com. We are the story guys at gmail.com. You can check out the site. It's we are the story guys.com. You can check out our other shows, um, the other things that we are up to. And um, I, I think the only way to end this episode is to listen to Steven's. No, I'm kidding. Um, I don't want people to punch out yet. Uh, also, hey, go to um, go to iTunes or wherever you download the show from and, and leave a nice review. You know, at least like, like, I don't want you to be disingenuous, but like, you know, four, five star, something like that. Cause it's pretty good. Especially the Steven Seagal episode. Yeah. Uh, sub- let people subscribe know. to sh- subscribe to the show. And if you're listening right now, like go back to the beginning and start over. I mean, that's always, what's kind of fun. Like when you find a podcast that you like is you, you find one you kind of like, and you start over at the beginning, you start at the beginning with us and you get to hear Brian tell the whole story about, uh, Huey Lewis and Ray Parker Jr. Suing each other for 75 years. And it's freaking <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> And our, our our most popular episode, which uh, is when Murdoch unravels the tale of Eric Clapton and George Harrison, which I thought it was just going to be Eric Clapton and George Harrison, and then Ringo nope. Starr showed up to that party. Uh, there, there's, Ronnie Wood. Ronnie Wood showed up to that party. There was a lot of Sharon ladies back in the day, and, and we've got all the details. But, okay, so I'm not going to play Seagal, but I do feel like... I don't know that we did him justice, but we got to talk about Albert King. So I'm, yeah. I'm gonna end it. I'm gonna end it with uh, "Born Under a Bad Sign." Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next. Keep time. telling stories. Yeah. Wasn't for bad luck, you know I wouldn't have no luck at all.